0: There's a a word that God gave me a while ago for this, and it's important. And that's understanding. The Bible talks a lot about understanding and with understanding, getting understanding. Because it's understanding that allows us to take something and bring it home and apply it in our life. And those are the things that change us. There are messages I've heard that inspired me long ago and they'll come back to me from time to time and continue to inspire me. But the things that have really changed my life is when I've gotten understanding either from my own reading or some teaching and begin to apply it. And of all the things I've taught here in the 17 years I've been here on staff and uh, even was teaching before that. Of all the things I've ever taught, even in the school of ministry we have, the one thing I get the most response from of what has changed their life is is this course that we're teaching right now. But in every case where it's changed their life, it's because they took the material, gained understanding, and then applied it in their life. And that's where people often fail, and that's what we'll talk about at the end. We're going to talk about how to change, because without that understanding, all the rest of this just falls by the wayside. So let's pray for and ask God for understanding as we open up His Word together. Father, we thank you that your word promises us understanding and we seek that tonight. We seek to have understanding, Lord, you're the one that designed us. You designed our mind, you designed our soul, our spirit, our body, Lord, and you are the one, because you are the maker and the designer, you understand how it works. And you've told us in our word that we are to renew our mind, change the way we think, which means if we're told to renew our mind, that means we can do that. But your word sets forth certain principles to help us to learn how to do that. And so we ask you tonight, Father, as we open the word of God together, that the Spirit of God would begin to enlighten us and give us understanding, not just of ourselves, but of the principle that your word teaches us for the renewing of the mind. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me. We've been looking at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, the key scripture, of course, that we're using for this material is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is to says that, first of all, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and, we, and that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And we saw that the word... Tr- conformed is a Greek word that means to be pressured from the outside so that you're molded or shaped like the very thing that's pressuring you and the best example of that is either a jello mold but that doesn't use pressure so that's not a good example but when they mint coins, they take a piece of copper and of course it's not pure copper a piece of silver and of course it's not pure silver and then under the heat and press of that pressed, that mold is forced onto that metal and now the outside of that piece of metal resembles what, we, what the pressure of that mold was like and that's what it tells us not to be because the world through cares and concerns would like to mold us and pressure us so that on the outside of our life, the part of our life that affects other people, the way we talk the way we act, the attitudes of life and all of those things look just like the world so even though God's kingdom has come inside of us, it doesn't affect anybody else so it can't prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God so if Satan couldn't stop you from getting saved what he's going to try to do is stop you from affecting anybody else and his primary method is through the cares of this world, the deceitfulness, riches, and the lust of other things and other things we've looked at and that's the pressures of this world and so Paul says, do not let that happen. That means if he tells us not to let that happen, it's possible for us to not let that happen and that's part of what we're learning in this course. But then he tells us to do something, not just on the negative what not to do, but then what we are to do in place of that because if you just try to not be conformed and you don't replace it with what he tells us to do, you're going to get worn out trying to not be conformed. Formed, and what he tells us to do is to be transformed, and the word transformed is a different Greek word, which means literally, if you study it and break it down, it means to take what yours, your inner nature and let it come to the outside, and of course, the greatest example of that is a caterpillar that weaves this cocoon around it and then when, what's inside of that is the potential to be a butterfly and when the time is ripe, that butterfly now comes out of that cocoon, its real nature comes forth. And that's what that word means, which means when you were born again, the kingdom of God was put inside of you. And then we looked at a whole list of things that the Bible says was put inside of us with the kingdom of God and who we are in Christ and all these things on the one side of the ledger. And then we looked at our own lives to see how much of that we're actually experiencing in life and found out there was this huge discrepancy between what the word of God says God has put in us in the kingdom and what we're actually experiencing and enjoying in life. And then we saw that the process of moving it from the side of what God said is ours to the side we experience it is the process of renewing our mind because it says you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we've been looking at that. To do that, we had to understand, you know, where the mind fits into your system that God designed. And we saw that God gave you a body. That's so you can function in this material realm. But the real nature that you are is a spirit man on the inside, and that God gave you a soul, which is the bridge between your spirit and your body, and that soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your will is what determines what you will do. And that's God made you in His image. He gave you a free will to exercise whether you're going to love Him and serve Him or you're going to do what you want to do. And every day we get to exercise that will. And we saw that there's pressures bearing in on the exercise of that will. Some of those pressures are coming by the Spirit of God who's trying to lead you one way and then the other other pressures are coming by Satan and the pressures of this world that are trying to woo your will somewhere else. But you decide where it goes. But the key element in that decision is your mind. Your mind is what controls that. And then we begin to break your mind, our mind down. And this is where we we're looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'll just read through it quickly. And then we'll pick up with kind of what we left off. Paul says, we're going to pick up in verse 3, "...for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments," the King James says, "...imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God." So there are things that, that, that get formed in our mind that exalt themselves, exalt themselves against knowing God." And that word arguments, the King James says, imaginations, is a Greek word which means a structure of thoughts, organized thoughts, like a philosophy, or an attitude, or a worldview, that when it gets into our mind, forms an image, and that exalts itself when it's come from the world, it exalts itself against being able to know God, what God is like. Traditional religion can do that. Jesus said to the disciples, said to these Pharisees, he says, the traditions of man, the imaginations of man, the, st- the structured thinking and traditions of man, have made the Word of God of no effect, the knowledge of God of no effect. But we're looking at this word from the point of view of the, what the King James says, imaginations. And then he goes on to talk about, in the next verse, he says, "...casting down arguments or imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing down every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ." And we saw then that there are three basic elements that are talked about here. Let's see if we can get these up. Okay. I went the wrong way. We're still working all this out. Okay. There we go. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. This is the, what your, my, how your mind works. In order to renew your mind, you have to understand how it works, because to renew it, you've got to control it. To control it, you've got to understand how it works. And so, I mean, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have some kind of computer, smartphone or dumb phone or whatever you got. And, 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 and whatever that, or maybe we're the dumb ones and the phone's smart. Sometimes when the smart phone's smarter than you, maybe it's time to get something else. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. The point is, all you do is, I just flick something. And when I flick this, all kinds of instructions operated in this thing, which is communicating with that iMac back there and telling it to do certain things, which I have no understanding of, to produce this slide up there. And so, and your mind works in those things. Now, I don't need to understand it to do this, but if, if I were a computer programmer and there's something wrong with the program, I've got to know how that program works, So if we're going to reprogram our mind, which is what renewing the mind is, you have to understand how that works. And we learn that the basic unit that your mind uses are thoughts. And thoughts is the basic thing. Your mind is always having thoughts. And it works in patterns of thoughts. And some of you understand that. Some of you say, no, my mind just is kind of, it goes all over the place. Just because it's Irrational doesn't mean it's not a pattern, and we're going to see that more clearly today. That's the basic unit that your mind works with. Those thoughts, and we'll see that in a minute, those thoughts your mind tries to collect together to form meaning. And when it collects them together, it begins to form them into some kind of image or picture, and that's what an image is, it's pictures. Your mind then works in pictures. So if I say to you, and we talked about this last week, if I say to you, apple, and I don't mean the computer, the fruit, if I say to you, apple or pear, your mind doesn't think of, let's see, fruit that's made up of this kind of tissue which has this chemicals in it, you picture a pear, and each of you may picture a different type of pear or a different type of apple if I said apple. So we work in, your mind then takes those thoughts and forms pictures. And we talked about that. But then those pictures, if they're there long enough, begin to form a stronghold. And I use the example of on a computer. It'll tell you, you know, most of your computers will have something called a screen saver. And that is something that's moving or pictures that come up. Why? Because if there is a same image is pushed onto that screen over a long enough period of time, that image will begin to embed itself into the, the, the photosensitive cells on that screen. Now, I don't know how these new things work, but the old, those old big things, that's how they work. And, and so what happens is that image becomes so, so constant there that it now becomes permanent. In our lives, I shared with you my own testimony about how certain things Images that were built into me about my father later began to control my life. A stronghold is when something controls you and you don't even know what it is. And all it has to do is you hear one thought, one smell, one sound, and you're reacting to something and your rational mind says, why am I doing that? Because it's triggering an old stronghold inside of you. And those strongholds exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and that's what we're going to learn to change and last week we ended by saying the way you change the stronghold, you can't get rid of an old stronghold it will eventually fade away if you stop feeding it what you have to do is replace it with a new stronghold and the way you replace it with a new stronghold is by creating new images, new pictures that eventually become strongholds in your mind, good ones and the way you create new pictures is by putting in new thoughts We learned that every thought that goes into your mind is intended by whoever it came from, from being a dot in some picture or part of an imagination. Now I want to come to an example to show you how your mind does this. And and I think it'll help you understand it. Any of you remember growing up, uh, and if you've had kids, maybe I don't know if they still have them, but I remember when our kids, and maybe... I don't know when I was a kid. I can't remember when I was a kid. But, but, but when our children were growing up, I remember one of the things that they would do is we would get these books that were we'll called Dot to Dot. And when you opened it up, what you found out is there was a, 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 a little story or picture, and then there was a series of dots with numbers on them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then and there may be some of them that had to kind of help you, had lines between them. And the whole idea is there was a hidden image in there, a hidden picture. And all you had to do though is take that pencil, and it was real simple, as long as you could count. You would go from one to two to three to four to five to six. Now why, you know, this child who doesn't care about math, doesn't care about numbers, why is this six-year-old or seven-year-old taking the time to go one, two, three, four, five? Why? Because they want to find out what this picture is. Because when they look at it, all it is is a series of numbers with dots next to them, and there may be some cryptic little phrase down there, but they're curious because their mind, listen carefully, their mind wants to form something meaningful out of that that collection of numbers. Because God designed our minds in such a way that they're always looking to form some kind of meaning out of this. What does this mean? Usually, what does it mean about me? What does it mean about my future? What does it mean about my security? Do people like me? So we don't just take in bits of information. Because as I said, your mind works in patterns of thoughts, not just raw thoughts. So when you get these patterns, these thoughts coming into your mind, your mind is trying to collect them together and to form some kind of meaning out of them, what does this mean? Which is why you can have twenty people in a room experience the same thing and walk out with a totally different experience. Why? Because they saw the same things, they heard the same things, but their mind collected those thoughts together, having different conclusions or meanings out of them. Are you with me so far so So what happens is you have these events occur to you. I'll give you an example suppose suppose you had uh, 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 but I want to do it a different way. Okay, I want, to, I want to give you an example of this. This is ver- I've never done this before. So, what is this? Here's a do- here's my simple dot to dot. I didn't do dots; I did numbers. So I look at that right away, and the first thing I see because my mind, without any lines, if those were just four dots, my mind would try to collect those. I wouldn't see four dots. I would see a square, right? That's the first thing I see. So I look at that, and I see a square. So my mind, trying to form meaning, says that's a square there because it's got, I can see four sides that are intended to be there. But let's connect the dots to dots and see what this really is. So what I would do is I would, in my mind, do this. Whoops. I, in my mind, would do this. And that's a square. Everybody with me? So This is not hard stuff. That's not trick. Everybody with me? This is what our mind does this without even realizing it. But let's go by the numbers now and see what this really is. So we'll go from 1 to 2 to 3 to 4. This wasn't a square at all. This is a Z. But if I don't know the numbers, and that there's an order and a sequence, my mind will try to take that bits of information and form meaning out of that. And it's not that simple as just something like this. I have prejudices towards certain images. So if I automatically think, you know, never, no, nothing ever goes right for me, I was sharing this with my wife this morning, because I was raised in a family by two, two hypochondriacs. <laughs> my, both my mother and father, I mean, my father had a, had a pharmacy in, his, in, his, in, in the bathroom, and it's just like, and so I had to work to overcome those kinds of fears. Because they were always, if you go out and it's windy and you were sweaty, you're going to get a cold. And if you do this, you're going to get a cold. You better stay inside. And if that's what I, those were dots as a child that were being sewn into my mind, not purposely trying to mess me up, but that's the effect it had. And my mind began to form images of what could happen to me. And those images became strongholds. And then you grow up. And you begin to deal with issues of life. And so I found, as growing up, it was much easier for me to believe something was going to go wrong in my body than I was going to be healthy. So we moved that forward to about 20 years ago, and I went for a physical and I told you this before, but now it'll fit in more. I went for a physical, and you know, they took blood and they did all the stuff they're supposed to do. And this physical was on, I think, a Thursday. Friday I come home from work, came home late after 5 o'clock, and there's a, this is back when there was a light flashing on your answering machine, and I pushed the button, and they said, this is Dr. Bradley's office, please call our office Monday morning. That's one dot. One bit of information. No conclusions about that. No, you know, you, know, you better... T- You better make sure your will is in place. You better get your affairs in order. All it said was, call this who it is and call us Monday. That's it. But my mind began to do this. It began to make all kinds of conclusions and draw all kinds of pictures. And by the time I was finished Friday night... I had an image in my mind that by the next week on Friday, I would be in the hospital with tubes coming out of me. Now that sounds silly and ridiculous to you because you may not have that background that I had. My rational mind understood that. But as I explained to you last week, these strongholds begin to control you. And you, unless you've been looking at yourself and maybe in counseling or something, you may not realize some of the strongholds that are affecting your life. Fear is a stronghold. Irrational fear. I can't get on a plane because that plane might go down. The statistics are you're safer in a plane than in a car. But the stronghold controls you, so even if you get on a plane... You know, you're a white-knuckled traveler, you know, and your heart's beating, and you can't wait till this thing go down. And it's controlling you. So what you've got to learn is your mind, your mind is going to try to form pictures. It's going to try to make meaning out of it. And if you don't control it, see, what I did is I went from one to two. The reason I got the right picture is I followed the numbers for the dots. I followed the pattern that the author of this picture, which in this case was me, the author planned to give an accurate picture. And I suggest to you that the author of this book has given us numbered thoughts, that if we do them in His order, we'll begin to to create His images of who He is, His image of who you are in His sight, that you are a child of God. Some of the songs we sang tonight, we get all emotional about, but we go out and operate as if none of that's true. We walk around condemned, we walk around full of shame. Now if you've committed sin, then you need to repent of it. But you don't need to carry it around for 25 years. And so we need to renew our mind to go back and reform the right image, the right picture of who God is, of who you are, and of God's vision of you, God's work plan for your life, and the worldview that God has, which is this world is not our home. You know that, don't you? Yes. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home. This is our temporary place of, of assignment here. But we have a home that's eternal in heaven, and that is our hope. Yes, there are things we can hope for here, but our ultimate hope, that's why the verse I quoted when I was praying, where says that, that Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 1, that he would open the eyes of their understanding that they would see the hope of their calling that is in Christ Jesus. Not just the hope of your calling to be a pastor or to be a counselor or to be a good husband, but your, calling in, your ultimate calling and that we would see the glory, the inheritance that we have together with all the saints. He's not talking about your 401k. He's talking about the inheritance that we have in heaven. And so we need to learn to live our lives. That's what Hebrews 11 about faith is ultimately about. Yes, we can learn things about faith. Yes, we can learn things. We need to operate in faith in this life. But ultimately the purpose of faith is so we can operate here with our eyes there. That's why Paul could be victorious in the middle of everything he could do. That's why Paul could be singing praises at midnight in the Philippian jail when his feet are in stocks and there are all kinds of vermin running all over the place. And he and Silas are singing praises to God because they're not basing that, their, how they feel on where they are. Their, their eyes are on heaven. Their eyes are on where their home is. Then you can get to the point that you're more there than you are here. But that doesn't happen unless you begin to change the pattern of your thoughts of what your life really is and not be conformed to what the world want to tell you life, what, what, what television wants to tell you your life is. What all the, all the cosmetic ads and the, 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 um, the, 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 the fashion designers and all, everybody wants to tell you what life really is all about. And they're forming dots and pictures in your mind of what life is. So we get young people that, that, are, that, that, that starve themselves to death. Because they're too fat when they hardly weigh anything at all. Because the image they've got to meet out there to be accepted by people is a certain way. That's all because there are pictures, images that have been built into their minds by wrong numbered dots. And so the process, you need to understand all this exercise is to show you that your mind tries to form meaning out of thoughts. And what you've got to do, we talked before about your first responsibility, my first responsibility is to determine whether I want the thought in there or not. We talked about the UPS man ringing the doorbell. And when you take the packages and then you sign for it later, it's now yours no matter where it came from and no matter what's in there. Now you've got to deal with it. Ever have somebody decide they're going to bless you with some extra clothes? And you get all these old used clothes and you realize I don't want them and I can't use them. Now you've got to get rid of them. I can't tell you the time I've done that. Now i got to get rid of somebody else's stuff. Because <laughs> I didn't say no. Sometimes the shortest words are the hardest words to say. And I showed you that all you, you have responsibility when that doorbell of your mind rings and you open it to see what that thought is that's coming in. You have the responsibility of finding out where it's come from and what it's given you to do. Because you have a right to say no to it. Just because you have a thought comes into your mind doesn't mean it's yours. It's not yours until you accept ownership of it. It's not yours until you begin to think about it and meditate on it. At that point you've signed for it and it's very hard to get rid of that. So the next thing I want you to see about it is when they come in, your mind's going to start... There's no innocent thought. Your mind's going to somehow... It may store one and two and four until three comes in later on. But it will try to bring meaning out of them. And what we're going to learn to do is how to do this based on God's Word, not based on how your mind may tend to function. Okay. All right. Now what I want to begin to talk about... We can turn that off now. I broke my stylus. Now what we're going to begin to talk about uh, is how this process works. There's a process that we're going to learn about renewing the mind and I'm going to start probably next week and begin to give you certain keys, what I call keys to renewing the mind. These are basic foundational principles for what we're going to do, and some of them are revolutionary. If you've never heard them, when I heard them, they were revolutionary to me. Some of these have changed my life, just these simple principles. But I want to talk to you, for the time we have left tonight, about this. What does it mean to renew the mind? I mean, we've, there are books out there on Renewing the Mind and, and they're good and they, they may even talk, some of them talk about this, but we're going to learn how to renew the mind. What is that? How do I know if I'm renewing my mind? Just because I'm listening to principals and, you know, on Wednesday nights and getting excited about them, how do I know? What, is it, what, what does it mean to renew your mind? Well, what it is, very simply, it is, a, it is using the process by which, that your mind operates. In fact, this is where this course came from to me. I began to realize, recognize strongholds in my life. And then I began to go back as I went through and meditated on some of these scriptures and began to realize how those strongholds were formed in me and then began to realize because they were coming from thoughts, just as I talked to you about last week, I can change my thoughts. I can change my images and I can change my strongholds. And then I realized the very thing That the devil has used the very thing that even I have used to form these strong, these negative strongholds in me. I can use those same processes to form the right strongholds in me, and that's what we're going to learn to do. So, all it is is taking the process by which you got where you are and use that same process to get you out. And so, it it is using the processes of the mind to change the images and the images will eventually change the strongholds that affect us. You change the stronghold by changing the images, and you change the images by changing the dots. And this is why I've spent so much time talking about the difference between thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. Because if you just try to change the images, it won't work, because the image is made up of dots. The images in your mind are made up of a process, patterns of thoughts, and so what you 've got to do is begin to put new thoughts in your mind that are connected together one two, three, four that that, that are connected together by god 's word and what we 're going to learn is when you, you do, that, that what it, when it took you. 45 years to get where you are, or 70 years to get where you are, it won't take 45 years or 70 years to replace it, because we're going to put, learn to put thoughts in our mind that are God's Word, and they're divinely ordained by God to pull down strongholds, they're, and the other thing is they're the truth, remember last week I talked to you about these Im, an image in your mind only exists in your mind. It may be an accurate reflection of something. And I put up here this picture of my, our grandson, Jonathan. And I put it up there, this nice smiling picture. And I said to you, that's Jonathan. And then I said, no, it's not. Jonathan's home in bed, I hope. That's a picture of Jonathan. So that's not Jonathan. That picture only existed on the screen at that time. And those images in your mind and those strongholds, if you understand, they only exist in your mind. Now, they may be an accurate reflection of something out there, but they most likely are not. They're altered somehow. So if it only exists in your mind, you can change that. If it existed somewhere else, you'd have to change that first. But because that image only exists in your mind, it can be replaced by another image that exists in your mind. Everybody following me so far? Okay. You'll see that as we go along. Because we're using God's Word... It doesn't take as long to replace those strongholds as it did to create it. Because God's Word is anointed by Him to break down these strongholds. Because the Word of God is the truth. And the truth is more powerful than the lie. And these new images are of what God has already done for us, who He's already made you to be, and who He, of course, really is. So let's talk about this process. What does it mean to renew the mind? Where it literally means to change your pattern of thoughts. To put new thoughts in and change your pattern of thoughts. Let me give you a couple examples of this. 48 years ago, uh, my wife and I were married and then we moved to Boston and I was enrolled in law school. Now, fortunately for me, my stepfather had been a lawyer, so he prepared me for this. What he said is, son, when you, when you go to law school, they're not going to teach you the law. Well, I said, That's interesting. He says, because they're training people that may go to 50 different states. So they're not, there are law schools that are local law schools that will teach you the local law, but most larger law schools, they're not, you, you'll pick some up, but they're not there to teach you what the law of Massachusetts is, because this was in Massachusetts. I said, well, what are they designed to do? They're designed to change the way you think. So three years of law school is primarily designed to train you in a discipline of thinking. And let me give you an example of it. I was trained in such a way. One of the one of the courses they teach you is a course course called Torch, TORTS, T O R T S. And that basically means if somebody's injured something, and Jerry, if I'm wrong, we've got several lawyers on the front row here because it's been a long time since I was in law school. You can correct me. But um, it's basically courses that dealing with, with making people right for injuries that they've been stored. It could be a car accident. It could be somebody defamed somebody, said something wrong about them. There's a whole area that's reserved for contracts, but this is without a contract. And, and there's, a, there's a certain elements, if I remember correctly, and it's, there, there are five basic elements that, that are necessary before somebody can recover for an injury like that. And so you're taught those five basic elements. So, and here's why. Because I could be sitting in my office and a client walks in and somebody's said something nasty about them, published in a newspaper, and they're angry about it. Or there's been a car accident or something like that. And they come and sit down across from my desk, uh, then, not now, and they just tell me their tale of woe, and they come in basically saying, this person did this to me, and I want as much money as I can get from them. That's what they want. But I can't then go into court and take my client and come before the judge and said, Judge, this is Joe Smith. He's my client, nice guy. And Bob Jones over there did this to him. He wants every bit of money you can give him. Thank you, but how much should you give him? I can't tell the judge their story and say, well, give them what they want because the judge is required to only give them damages if I can prove those five elements. So while they're telling me their tale of woe, usually starting at the end, I'm listening for these five elements. And if I can find these five elements and have some confidence they can be proven, Then we've got a case. Does that sound about right? Okay. Let me give you a simpler example. My wife and I go into Starbucks. Monday afternoon or day off. We go into Starbucks. I come up and they smile at me and it says, Yes, what can I do for you? I'd say, I like a tall black coffee. No no problem. They go over, take the short cup, put it under the thing and hand it to me. My wife starts with these all the different things she wants because she's very particular on what she wants. She wants it iced. She wants it half caffeine, half decaf. She wants some sugar-free vanilla in it, some sugar-free hazelnut in it. She wants maybe some latte, not latte. And, 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 and every time when she gives it to them it's different each time. And they're just smiling. And then they go get it and do it. I'm thinking, they didn't write anything down. Well, now they write on the side of the cup. But then, and I said... Can you ask you a question? How do you do that? And the guy before me has given some long list of things. I had a friend of mine that went in with his wife and he had it written down. I said, how do you do that? He says, because we're trained to listen to that no matter what order you give it into us. We're trained to listen to it in a specific order. And I don't remember, it was like, is it hot or cold? What's the size of it? What, what type of coffee do you want? Do you want dark roast? What, what, there's a whole order that they're trained. You tell them what you want. Just have at it. And they're, in, they're listening it in that order. So they've been trained how to listen. Oh, that's good. That would... Pre- they've been... Men. <laughs> and some of these are men. They've been trained, and men, we need to be trained, how to Listen. If you don't know how to listen, you can be trained how to listen. In fact, you better learn how to listen if you want to be married 48 years the way we are. And I'm still learning. They're trained how to listen to all this spaghetti order. Because that's what it sounds like. And because they're customer, they want to please their customer. Their minds have been renewed to a particular subject. Their minds have been trained to process what they experience and what they hear according to a specific order. Their minds have been trained and disciplined. Their minds have been renewed so that they can fulfill their customer's order. And so that's what we're going to learn how to do. It is the process. It is the process of learning how to think according to the pattern of God's Word. Let me give you an example here. Let's suppose you've got a friend that, that, you know, somebody that you've, you've wanted to spend time with, you kind of look up to them and, uh, and, 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 and they've talked to you after church and say, you know what, let's, let's go out and have some, let's get to have coffee this week sometime. And maybe, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, or, or lunch. Let's just have lunch. And say, yeah, that'd be great. She said, how about, how about Thursday? Yeah, Thursday's great. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you. So, it's good. You're looking forward to it. Wednesday afternoon, you get a phone call from this person saying, I'm really sorry but something's come up and I just, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to have to do it some other time. And you're disappointed. You say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, okay, thank you. I, I understand. And so you go on your way and the next day you're out and you just decide to stop in somewhere for a bite to eat. And you look over to the other side of the room and there's this person having lunch with somebody else. Ah, some of your minds have already started to run. let's look at the dots let's look at the bits of information that have come into our mind you had a plan to have lunch with this person and you were looking forward to that that was going to mean a lot to you number one number two they called you and told you something's come up, they didn't tell you what it was and they can't meet with you, they're going to have to do it some other time that's point number two they're not directly connected together okay there's no meaning to connect the two together Point number three, you're now in a restaurant and you see them at the same time with someone else. That's point number three. They have no connection together other than it's the same person. There's no meaning that you can logically draw from there. But your mind... Some of you have got it in color already... And some of you have it in 3D. <laughs> See what your mind's doing? And it's not you, but you can relate to it. So your mind begins to piece this wait a minute. I had a time with them, I was looking forward to that. They said, no, I could understand that, but they're out with somebody else. They chose to have lunch with them. Now we we're drawing conclusions, now we're creating an image by connecting those dots together to form some kind of meaning to us and the result is an emotion that comes in reaction to that image not to the dots, but to the way our mind has collected them together and now the emotion we get is jealousy and if we don't deal with the jealousy it's going to begin to turn into anger or resentment or or however, wherever it tends to go from there that's the unrenewed mind that's the way we were trained in the world. But now let's do this according to God's Word. Let's do this run through a renewed mind. The unrenewed mind sees the same events. They said, we're going to have lunch with you on Thursday. Great. Wednesday afternoon they call you and said, I'm sorry, something's come up we can't have lunch third dot we see them in a restaurant at the same time we were supposed to have lunch with them with somebody else our mind begins to connect that together and this emotion begins to come up the meaning begins to come they don't like me they like that person see that's the next thought The, the jealousy doesn't come until the conclusion comes the picture forms they don't like me they were using me they like that person better whatever it is, and then this emotion begins to rise up. Now, to renewed mind, the moment that emotion comes, a red light comes on. Because we will know what the Word says about envy, jealousy, and strife. Because James, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, because, oh, excuse me, our mind now trained that when an emotion rises or something happens, The next thought comes now, instead of the conclusion, they don't like me, the next thought comes, what does God's word say about this? Because now I put that in. I have put in me the dots that will form other images of what does God say about me, first of all. And if you get a strong enough image in here of what God says about you, if it turns out they don't like you, it doesn't shake your world. You don't need them to love you, you want them to love you, you love them to love you, but you don't need them to love you, because you are secure with God because you know how's He. Him. And this, this, will ch- this is at the foundation of so many marital problems. And I learned this because I was doing this with my wife. We got married at 21 and 22 years of age. Kids, we had no idea what we were doing. We weren't saved. And with all the mess up I've told you from my childhood, I needed her to be my security. She's the only person that ever loved me that I ever believed loved me and I wasn't sure of that, not because of her, because of my own insecurity. And that's a recipe for a disaster. And more and more I needed her. And this is what happens in a marriage. People come together because what draws them is this person can meet my need that I didn't get as a child from my parents or whatever. So I marry this person to meet that need. Really what I'm doing is I'm making them my God. And God didn't design a husband and wife to be God to each other, but they were to be helpmates to each other. They were to come together to be one flesh. And so out of that insecurity, what happens is, she can't possibly be my God. And then you put pressure on that spouse to be what you need them to be, and they can't do that. So either they'll break down, or they'll begin to build water, or just cause problems. And the answer God began to show me wasn't for her to change. I had this big hole inside of me, and the only way that was going to be filled was to have him fill it. So, I began a process of renewing my mind to the fact that God loves me and that I'm his child. And it took years of building that in and building that in and building that in and building that in. And And gradually, what happened is gradually, what came, I could now let her be who she was. I didn't need to make her into something that I needed her to be. I could allow her to be who she was and accept her as she was. And then she could begin to blossom. Because I didn't get that my need satisfied from her, I now had it satisfied from Him. I could let go of her and not try to make her in who I needed her to be. So simply renewing my mind to change the inner image that God is really my Father. And because He's my Father, He loves me no matter what. And I can come to Him no matter what. And I'm accepted by Him even if she should walk out and leave me, which she never will, but even if she should reject me, my security is not in her. My security is in Him. So to come back to this situation, if I have renewed my mind to what the Word of God says about me as a child of God, that person's rejecting me. The jealousy only comes because that person's now going to not... I had a place in me that they were going to fill that I had designed for them to fill in me and now they're not doing it. And see, if I'm filled up with that. Uh, my security and my foundation is in God's love for me, then if they walk out and reject me, okay, I don't want that, it hurts, but it doesn't shake my world so I'm not angry. I don't have to respond back at them. I don't to get mad back at them. I don't know what happened. but So anyway, so, so we go now to what does God's Word say? Well, God's Word says that, in, in, in James, that envy, jealousy, and strife are doctrines of demons. Whoa! Now we're reading the return address on the package. The doorbells rung. The doors open and there's a package saying, oh, they don't like you. They like that person better than you. This package has envy in it. Here, why'd you sign? for? And you know what? Our flesh wants to! Oh, it feels good to our flesh because when we're angry at somebody else, it makes us feel like a victim which becomes an excuse for not doing what we need to do or getting attention somehow, which is another way of filling that hole because we haven't renewed our mind that God's filled that hole with Himself. Yes. And so, so my, my mind now tells me, my renewed mind says, wait a minute, wait a minute. the return address on this, this package that's kind of come in is envy, jealousy, and strife. And I know from the Word of God that means... It's a doctrine of demons. I know where this has come from. I don't want those thoughts in here. I don't want those images in here because I know those images are designed to establish a stronghold that's going to exalt itself against my knowing God. So I say no. I know that the emotions can rise up until you practice this. The emotions can rise up. But we learned that emotions follow thoughts. Emotions always follow thoughts. So you change the thoughts, you change the emotions. You know one of the fastest way to change emotions of jealousy or anger at somebody? Pray for them. And I don't pray, pray, God get them. <laughs> you saw what they did to me. There's some prayers that David prayed, I don't you know, we can't pray. <laughs> King David. No. Lord, I don't know what's happened here. I don't understand what's happened. Maybe this, I don't know the situation, but I'm going to pray your best for them. I'm going to pray whatever they, begin to pray for them. And what you're doing, regardless of whether God's hearing you or not, and He is. But even if God weren't hearing you, the fact that you're thinking about them, the fact that you're asking God to do something for them, means you're putting in different thoughts. And these thoughts line up with God's Word and begin to form an image of God's Word. So that's just an example of what this process is like. And I'll make a final comment about that and then we'll we'll stop here because next week, next time we'll begin with how that process worked, with some basic principles that are so important. First of all, it's a process. A process means you start somewhere and it's going to take time to get over there. When we used to go visit Anita's parents, they were in Dayton, Ohio. We would get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We'd pile everybody in the car so they'd all go back to sleep. So I'd get several hours of driving before all the kids woke up and, you know, ask all the questions they got to ask. And you're know, like, are we there yet? And, and they were very good travelers. I don't mean that. But, but, um, but, but we didn't get in the car, and this is what children do. They get in the car for a 14-hour ride, and half an hour later, are we there yet? How much longer is this going to be? They got to understand it's a process. First of all, you've got to go through Rhode Island into Connecticut. Then you've got to go through Connecticut into New York State. Then you've got to go from New York State into Pennsylvania. And that's six hours across there. Then finally get into Ohio. Now it's another four hours to Dayton. And I would give them progress reports. But see, young children are impatient and they want to get there now. They don't want to, they don't want to process. They want to get there now. And some of the most important things that God wants to do in our life cannot happen quickly. They are a process process. And the process is part of the program because it requires you to wait and allow, trust God to do the work in you. But the promise of God's Word is if you begin to think God's thoughts about situations and you begin to put God's thoughts into your mind intentionally doing this, and we'll talk about how. I'll teach you some techniques to to be able to capture your thoughts. I'll train you how to capture your thoughts and I'll train you how to put the right thoughts in but I want you to be aware of what thoughts are and why thoughts are important it's a process so it takes time in fact I'll give you a clue it will take the rest of your life you will never finish this process but if you don't begin you'll never get there and, and the process is not a waste of time And what you'll find and I've seen happen as people begin to do this and they begin to see it work they begin to get more confidence and the more confidence they have the more they practice it and the more they practice it the more it works and begins to create a positive momentum. A positive momentum. Wherever you were When you start this process. Some of you were near the end of your life. Further along. And you start there. You start wherever you are. And that's where the process goes. Some of you, your lives are such a mess. And your thinking is such a mess. That you got to start way down here. And start the process. But you don't measure your progress by where I am or where Gary is, or where anybody else is, and I'm not lifting any of us up, I'm just picking names. You measure your progress from where you started. Remember where Peter said to, John, to Jesus, in the end of John, the Gospel of John, after Jesus told, Peter told Jesus what his life was going to be, long, what, how as long his life was going to be, and he was going to die an old man, and he turns around and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, it's none of your business You don't compare yourself with somebody else. You don't compare your progress with anybody else. You compare your progress with where you turned around and you started from. You watch what God will begin to do. And Lastly, it really becomes a lifestyle. A lifestyle. It's a habit that you learn becomes a part of your life. I was the oldest of five boys and for whatever reason, my mother decided that her cause in life was to make sure that we spoke with proper grammar and proper English. And, and we would sit around the table, I don't care where we are. If, if one of us used an improper word, and I'm not talking a swear word, a word such as irregardless, which doesn't exist, I hear that word, it feels like fingernails going down the board. Because sitting around that dining room table 60 years ago, she would stop us where we are and say, there's no such word. What is the right word? I'm sorry, it's regardless. And there are words like that. There are phrases. There are proper English for certain things that nowadays is just kind of lost that was so ingrained in me around that dining room table that today if I hear somebody misuse the word like or as, because there's a difference, I hear my mother's voice speaking to me. Why? Because she programmed good things into my thinking. I don't think about opening the door for my wife. We go through a do- window. A door. Don't go through a window. We go through a door. I don't think about those things because my mother programmed manners into us. And that's not a bad Thing to do because it becomes a habit. It's a stronghold in me. I wouldn't, I, you know. I, I, can I go through it out? Yes, because sometimes I'm going through the mall or something, and oh, where is she? But it's ingrained in me. It's ingrained in me to open the door. It's ingrained in me to be polite. It's ingrained in me to say thank you. It's ingrained in me. My mind was programmed, was renewed for those things as a child. It's a habit. But thinking God's thoughts can become a habit. And as that does, it becomes a stronghold in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight as you continue to give us understanding of how our minds work and how you have programmed, want to reprogram and help us to reprogram our minds. And Father, we ask you by the power of the Spirit of God that you would take the things that we've heard tonight and bring them back to our remembrance through this week as we begin to see and understand things that in our own life are operating and give us understanding of those. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.